Hello, Axapod listeners. Welcome back to the show. We took a little hiatus over the winter, but welcome back. We uh, thank you for tuning back in. I'm excited for today's episode. We have three good friends of mine in the insurance business that I think, from my perspective, are great pioneers and innovators. And we talked a lot about that today in the discussion. But you have to have a certain mindset and flexibility and openness, I think, in the, in today's kind of hard insurance market to be an innovator and to put out new products and new ideas. And these three, I think, do that and do that brilliantly. First, we have Justin Whitehead from Howden, who's been a longtime, longtime partner of ours here in my group, at Christensen Group, but going back years, we've worked together. Justin does a great deal of work in the London, U.S. casualty space. So thanks for Justin for being here. We also have uh, Ed Wallace. Ed is uh, an underwriter at Inigo, which is a newer syndicate within Lloyd's. And Ed comes from Hiscox. And we also go back a fair amount. So it was great to have Ed uh, Ed on the show. And uh, finally, uh, Nick Waddell from Convex. Convex is also a relatively new London market. They're not a syndicate, which I was corrected on during during the course of this discussion. And Convex and Inigo are now teaming up for what we're going to call Innovex, a new facility brought specifically by these two London markets to form a partnership and play in the primary marketplace, primary casualty space within the London market. So really exciting to have these guys kind of announce this on my podcast here. So I really appreciate all of them being on the show and I hope you enjoy the list. All right, everybody, welcome back to Axis Pod. My name is Brandon Shu. I'm the host of Axis Pod. And today I'm with three people I know pretty well here. I'm excited to have them on the podcast. We have Nick Waddell from Convex. We have Ed Wallace from Anigo and Justin Whitehead from Howden. How are you guys today? Good, thank you. Yeah, very good. Sorry, it's Monday. It's a little bit slow, slower here, uh, Brandon. Yeah, I, I didn't know if that was the uh, the lag or if you guys just weren't too excited to speak up. But <laughs> very excited. Very excited. Very excited. Justin, this is your. I think this is your third time on a podcast with me. Second time on Exapod. So thanks for your recurring status with us. I, you, I think you get a T-shirt at this point. Oh, I thought you were going to say a hat. I was hoping for a hat, Brandon, but no, it's always, always a pleasure to uh, to be speaking with you and uh, always enjoy these ones. I remember our first one was actually in, was it in Boston in a hotel yeah. room at six in the morning? Yeah, yeah, I think so. You were one of my early uh, earliest recorders. Experiment. So. Experiment, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, experiment. Experiment is probably a better word. Well, I think we got we got a lot to touch on today, so we'll we'll get right into it. But just as a little foundation here, We've brought Ed and Nick here uh, as kind of two syndicates, two people representing two different syndicates that are uh, are in the process of doing a combined facility, uh, Convex and Inigo. Uh, We were just talking about the naming rights here. I'd I'd like to take some credit for the naming rights, but uh, I don't think I can do that. But gentlemen, why don't you give us a little background on your respective syndicates and yourselves and, and maybe kick it off by discussing, you know, what the uh, the joint relationship might look like. Sure. And thanks uh, for having me, Brandon. I think it's probably my my debut on a podcast. So, um, I oh, don't know congratulations. If, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know if the insurance uh, podcast was the one I was hoping for 
for my debut. But, you know, uh, nonetheless, I'm very happy to be here. And yes, thank you for having me. Um, so, yeah, I work for Indigo Insurance. We are a new Lloyd syndicate. Uh, Indigo started trading at the beginning of last year, beginning of 2021. And really primarily, pri- primarily started because obviously there was a dearth of capacity in the marketplace. There's a lot of dislocation. I mean, I think clients across multiple different lines of business were calling out for new capacity and people who are more interested in looking forward rather than kind of looking in the rearview mirror and focusing on, I suppose, the problems of COVID and of the prolonged soft market, which which we've we've been through recently. We focus on a number of lines of business, really around between seven or eight, depending on how you categorize them. And do not intend to really expand hugely outside of our core offering. We want to be a kind of niche specialist player who focus on certain lines of business and hopefully do those well in terms of our support for brokers and clients and looking looking, looking at risk in a slightly different way, hopefully. For myself, I I joined Indigo you know, last year when I started. Um, and before that, worked at two other Lloyd syndicates, always really focusing on US casualty business uh, for over 15 years now, I dare, dare admit. So I'm showing my slight age there. I'll probably let, I'll try, I'll let Nick introduce himself and then we yeah, can talk about great. Those, yeah, what, 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 we're, what we're looking to do in this space. Nick, you're right. right. Yep, yep, yep. Good to see you. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me onto your, uh, your acts of pod. Yeah, so I guess very similar to Ed, my history has always really been in the, in the US casualty space. Uh, I joined Convex back in 2019, towards the tail end of 2019. It was kind of started trading at the, at the beginning of 2019, so relatively early on. I guess a, a clarifying point on Convex, Convex isn't actually a Lloyd syndicate, so Convex is a standalone insurance company, so we don't currently have a, have a Lloyd's presence. Whether we will at some point or not, I don't know, but at the moment it's, uh, yeah, it's an insurance company, but we, we obviously work in the in the kind of London marketplace and a kind of part of that London syndicated approach. Yeah, so yeah, it starts 2019. I guess my kind of 10, 15 years before that uh, was all, all working with Ed, actually. So we have a, a kind of a, a long history of, of writing US casualty business. Uh, we both worked at Catlin for probably nine on 10 years. And then we joined Hiscox together, were there for, I think, me four, and then, and then probably Ed five or six. Yeah, so and then we've we've kind of spun out and, and gone different ways. And I, I joined Convex and and has kind of joined Inigo. And that's I guess given us one of those opportunities where uh, we're looking at this kind of primary tough products business. And given we share similar appetites, not exactly the same, but but similar, which we've kind of grown over the years working together, uh, it gave us an opportunity to come together offer more meaningful capacity into this primary space then also offer kind of a better better service and actually give you guys uh, and our clients kind of quicker turnaround faster responses and generally service the business better than than others and that's that's the real and I, I think I think we we're all agreed on this thing that's the the main kind of driver for the offering is to try and outservice the competition absolutely so we'll we'll take a Step back a little bit and then go go kind of into the genesis of of the uh, kind of the combining forces here. But Justin, you're my go-to Lloyd's historian. Why don't you give a little background on yourself, but then kind of where we are within the marketplace now and uh, kind of historically where we've been coming from? Yeah, no, thank you, Brian. Yeah, no, always a pleasure again to uh, to join you and thank you for your partnership. So yeah, so we're uh, 
we're in a very interesting place in the marketplace. But just quickly before we talk about that, yeah, I'm 35 years, not old, unfortunately, but 35 years <laughs> in the market doing purely US casualty. That's all I've ever done in my life. So uh, God help me. And, uh, you know, we're uh, now at a company called Howden Specialty. We were RK Harrison. We merged with uh, Howden about uh, five years ago. And, you know, as I said, my charge is really just purely US casualty with a particular slant on primary products and excess casualty. We do quite a lot of public entity. We do quite a lot of transportation, a lot of healthcare uh, and various other things. So, so yeah, so I've had the pleasure of knowing Ed and Nick from early days and uh, it's always a great great pleasure working with them and you know that's part of the sort of the london broker london underwriter relationship it is quite a unique relationship over here in london you know we're a small community we don't have 30 40 50 markets in a primary capacity writing uh, this business so you know it is a very select kind of type of marketplace it's a very strategic marketplace and I think it's worth sort of remembering, probably most people know this, but it's always, I always think it's worth remembering is the 335-year-old institution started in a coffee house by Edward Lloyd back in the day. And it's the biggest surplus lines insurance market in the world. You know, Lloyd's writes about roughly 20% of all surplus lines premiums in the US. The next closest was, it might be a little bit out of date now, was Berkshire Hathaway with about uh, 6%. So when you look at it like that in terms of the scale and the size and the breadth and the depth of Lloyd's market, you know, it covers many, many, many different things. Not just casualty, obviously, property, marine, aviation, reinsurance. It just goes on and on. There's really probably no single class that Lloyd's doesn't write. And cyber, obviously, being you know, the latest uh, thing that is in vogue right now. You know, The London market really created that cyber product. The London market created EPL products. The London market created DNO products. So you know, the London market's always been a center of innovation. And that's something that's passionate to me and what we do here at Howden. You know, we're not trying to swim in the same lake necessarily as all the other of fish you know we want to we want to get out of that lake and find a nice little pond where we can sort of put our rod in there and find some uh, some decent uh, some decent fish that maybe not everybody else is trying to trying to go after so that takes a you know, certain type of underwriter and a certain type of broker who can you know got the foresight uh, like you, Brandon, to sort of go after those particular opportunities, find those opportunities uh, that not everybody else is sort of tripping over themselves to do. So where we are in the marketplace is a very, very interesting point in the market now. We've had, what, three, four years of hard market cycle that we've been going through. You know, the first year or two were very, very difficult and very, very difficult discussions for underwriters, brokers, clients, all alike. And I think, you know, We'd all been waiting for the hard market to come. And when it came, we were like, holy loaded, this is a lot of work um, for everybody. Um, (laughs) And it really, I think, took everybody by surprise how quickly it changed. And I think, you know, when things started to settle down, probably, I guess, sort of in the middle part of last year, I think it got a lot of calm. And here we are, you know, we're in a much, what I can only describe as a calmer market. It's still very challenging. There's still a lot of, you know, I think what underwriters are looking for at the moment is the next black swan event. And, you know, particularly with inflation and all things that are going on at the moment, you know, with the, the world in general, all the challenges, whether it's a war, whether it's the economy, supply chain, there's so many things that are going on at the moment that just got everybody on the edge of their seat. So, yes, market has changed. You know, capacity is more stable. That's not a bad thing. You know, clients are now, you know, pretty much prepared better prepared, I think, to expect what to expect from their renewal. But there are, I don't think anybody would disagree, lots of challenges still out there. So as we go to this next market cycle, I think, you know, a lot of clients are like pushing for reductions and things like that. And 
obviously, as a broker, we want to do the best for our client, but also we, we have the tough job of managing expectations because, you know, our friends are convex and Inigo, I don't think, you know, are there yet in terms of those kind of reductions and so on. So it's very important for markets to, you know, to consider not just pricing, but also terms and conditions, you know, and there are emerging issues on, you know, chemicals, forever chemicals, which is one of the big things at the moment that everybody's sort of talking about. And, you know, there are emerging issues, obviously, going on with Ukraine and what the whole war there means. Because everybody said when the Ukraine war started, oh, it's going to be a non-event. It's not going to affect the insurance market at all. That's totally wrong. You know, it's a major loss event and still ongoing. No one really knows where it's all going to end up. But you look at things like the political violence market, uh, yeah, that has been turned on its head, absolutely turned on its head. And the aviation market is also very, very fragile right now as a result of contingency claims, uh, war claims coming in from Russia. How that market will survive, I, I don't entirely know, because it's always been a very strange market, very fragile, and it only takes three or four seized planes and... Um, you know, for that market to wobble. But there was a report that came out this morning saying that, you know, the Ukrainian war in terms of aviation risks out there could be seven times worse than the World Trade Center. Uh, who knows if that's true or not? Again, it just underlines the fragility, of, uh, if that's the right word, of the market. It is still quite fragile. The good news is underwriters and Lloyd syndicates and Convex are all in very good, healthy condition. So that's good. We want our insurers to be healthy and we don't want them to, you know, have capital erosion events. But, you know, there are still events that are ongoing that are causing, you know, what I guess are more earnings related events. You know, the wind is still blowing. The earth is going to shake at some point. It's just a question of when. And casualty events will still happen. But yeah, that's hopefully gives you a good, a good overview. Very good overview. Thanks for that. There's a number of points to hit on there. We can kind of try to hit them throughout, but you bring up a lot of good kind of observations. I think one of them probably dovetails really nicely into this conversation, which would be how the Lloyd's and London marketplace are innovators and they are kind of first to market in a lot of different areas. You mentioned cyber and DNO and that sort of thing. A question for all of you before we go into, you know, kind of the genesis here the, and the goals of, the combined facility, but what what do you think? What do you think facilitates that sort of innovative thinking in the London marketplace, and why has London historically been faster with these types of ideas than, let's say, the U.S. Uh, domestic casualty marketplace? I think there's a couple of there's a couple of reasons why. I think one of the the, the first one really is kind of. Because we're, we're empowered underwriters, um, you know. I, I, I say this from London, from from London, you know, as, as ha- having assumptions of what under what other underwriters' lives are like. But you know, all I can say is we are broadly the decision makers. When it, when 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 risks come to us, we can you know talk to clients, talk to brokers, and understand what their issues are and craft policies and structures which are not necessarily out of an underwriting box and underwriting guideline, but actually, you know, which are relevant to that individual company because all companies are inherently different. And whilst, you know, there is some structure, there are some structures which are helpful when trying to create insurance policies, we should be able to be malleable in terms of what we're what we're trying to achieve, which is, you know, a happy, a happy client. So I'd say that's like the, the one of the kind of more functional reasons. But then also I think we also as in a marketplace have to really understand like where we are and we are sitting in London and we are, you know, are not you know, the first protocol for a lot of business. And so if we are, if we don't innovate, if we aren't creative, if we're not flexible, then what right do we have to win business? 
it's, it's not because people want to go and you know spend well, maybe some people do like obviously kind of coming over to london and spending time on you know in, in in our great city but you know inherently i think people like to trade in a, in a in a frictionless way in an efficient way and a lot of that doesn't mean trading in a different time zone so if we don't you know i think if we don't offer and we're not don't offer creative solutions that are not innovative then you know what are we actually offering as a marketplace yeah, I think that's exactly right. And for, I'll turn it up next, but just before I forget, you know, I think it's, you know, very, very important that as a market, we stay relevant. And that's something that, you know, we're all looking constantly at. And particularly as the world changes from a technology standpoint, everything's more faster paced. That relevance and staying relevant is so critically important to, to everybody in London. And you can only stay relevant if you innovate. If you don't innovate, you're just going to become a dinosaur very, very fast. And yes, you might write have an excess casualty book and writing excess casualty all day long, you know, five per mil, ten per mil, whatever it is. But how relevant are you to the insurance market? I think is a very, very important question. So I think every underwriter and certainly every, well, maybe not every broker, but most brokers, you know, want to remain relevant. Some people are able to create that innovation. You know, Lloyd's, for example, has created a Lloyd's Innovation Lab. And in that laboratory goes all sorts of clever people, far cleverer than me, you know, who can go in there and come up with all sorts of different ideas, for, you know, for whether it's a, related to vaccine, you know, some of the products that came out out of COVID in terms of vaccine shipments and stuff like that. Some really clever stuff going on. And uh, yeah, it's investing, but it's an investment. It's investment of time and energy. And, you know, everybody's, you know, obviously got a lot of work on that plate and trying to find that time and the energy uh, it's really really important so i think it's something personally i think we all need to spend a lot more time and money on because if we don't we're not going to become relevant and stay relevant uh, at a time when everybody is looking under the hood as why why am i doing business in london what am i getting out of it is it fit for purpose and is lloyd still relevant so yeah these are questions that you know i think you know we should all all, all be answering Nick, have you got anything you want to add? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of follow up on that. Really, I totally agree. I, I think the the history the history of Lloyd's has obviously always been one of innovation, and I think that that history is actually really important because it gives kind of guidance and inspiration to continue to innovate and be creative. And the whole way that that Lloyd's and I guess the the further London market is set up is that it is that kind of face to face interaction. And it's very, very difficult. I mean, Zoom and remote working is brilliant for a lot of things. Innovation is not one of the things it is brilliant for. And being able to kind of sit down in a room and discuss stuff or and come back as well. So Justin could come into the office three, four days a week and speak to people, whereas trying to innovate remotely where you're putting in another Zoom call in a week's time, things just don't move forward. And I think that that is it's been really, really important for London that everyone can speak to each other and, and and innovate within a room. And that that needs to remain, I think. Albeit at the same time, obviously we've we've moved forward with the, with a lot of things from remote working. So there's a bit of both, but the innovation bit I think face to face is really good. Yeah, that's one thing that I've always admired and loved about the London market is how much you all like to do this, right? And talk face and this isn't face to face, but I mean being together, being kind of belly to belly and coming, I think that is probably the, uh, you know, the, con- the conception of a lot of these great ideas is, is being face to face with people and coming up with them because that kind of breeds that sort of 
innovation and entrepreneurial spirit is having people around you. And I feel like the Lloyd's marketplace is always, the London marketplace has always done a really good job with that. So, you know, as you've both kind of, uh, Ed and Nick, you've both kind of split up and gone your separate ways here from Hiscox and now kind of coming back around full circle and uh, wanting to work together again. Obviously, uh, Ed, you mentioned kind of a dearth of capacity and some holes that maybe others aren't filling. What was kind of the genesis or the inspiration to come back and work together in kind of this in two separate, you know, two separate facilities going into one facility? From my point of view, we, Justin touched upon it earlier as well in terms of the, the marketplace and the capacity which has entered it. And we're obviously, and, you know, Inigo and Convex are part of the new capacity which has entered the market. And, you know, we have an ability to, we had an ability, I suppose, at a certain point of time to write certain types of business because there was not a lot of capacity within that marketplace. But the area which I think I can speak for myself, definitely an area which I've always enjoyed underwriting hugely is the kind of the primary space, the primary product space, tough product space, whichever you, however you want to describe it, because it's, you know, you know very nitty gritty underwriting. You are setting the terms and conditions. You're making a, a real difference rather than putting capacity access to 200 million and follow forming whatever the lead excess person, you know, says in terms of terms and conditions at 5,000 per mil. So it's always a space which has been quite close to my heart in terms of the underwriting of it and the intellectual capacity around it. And I think it is a very poorly served segment of the London market. And I, Justin will be able to speak to this in a broader fashion than I can. But I think there are maybe only three or four people in the London market who really offer any type of open market primary capacity. And, and that compares to maybe around 20 people who operate within the marketplace. So it's the space where I feel that London is under under strength in terms of when you look at the bench strength of the marketplace and, and a need for alternative options and alternative ways of doing business. And what hopefully we bring as a combined entity is you know, uh, more brains thinking about how to innovate and try and create a new product and try and work, create new ways of doing something and and better service, which I think is something which we're all, always crying out for. Yeah, so Nick, Nick, when you look at, yeah, I didn't want to stop you here, but when, when you look at kind of this, the new facility, what are your goals and ambitions and, you know, what do you want it to look like? Yeah, I think it's, it's a good question. I think when we, you know, when we, when we first set out to do it, the goal was obviously to make a product that was required and actually useful to our clients. It's kind of pointless building something that no one, no one wants and then get it to market and get it out to our clients and our brokers and then service what comes back from a submission standpoint as well. And there's there's a huge quantity of tough products. I mean, depending how you define tough, but there's a huge quantity of less than a billion dollar tough product companies in the US, more than than we can we can deal with really. So trying to then get our distribution correct and then also set ourselves up here so that we can service it was one of the main goals. And at the moment we're we're kind of slowly opening the opening the gates so we don't get flooded by these submissions. And so they can keep on servicing it because if you do open it all up too quickly and you don't service any of it, then the whole thing just falls over. It's been completely pointless. So yeah. You're going you're gonna to have to be really careful here because after this podcast, you're going to have so many interested people. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to scare you, but my listenership is, is pretty high. So <laughs> kind, of, kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Ron Burgundy would say I'm kind of a big deal. Okay, well, we might have to edit this then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the gates yeah. are open now. So. 
so far so good with that. And we need to need to keep keep that going and keep those service levels high. Because I think that is one of the things that will really set the product apart is not only kind of innovative terms and conditions, but being able to service our kind of broker community to get quick answers. And if it's not going to work, then we need to a quick no is a good no, right? I, I think people people need to need to know quickly so they can move on to other things. So that is one of the kind of the, the forefronts for it. And and the other one is, yeah, I mean, they're tough products. Some of them are brand new products. People aren't used to them. They've they've not been tested. They don't have loss runs. And then we've got to kind of get our head around that and try and look at parallels and other ways we've structured deals of similar products. And that that requires a bit of bit of thinking. I think that's a really good point and one that is, I think, often overlooked from a re- at least a retail broker standpoint is we have a lot of products out there right now in the space, whether it's rideable technology or you know even just products that you'd find in a Home Depot store or, or something like that. But the products are becoming more innovative too, obviously. And communicating the product abilities to the marketplace has always been something that at least I've taken a lot of pride in. But as you look at kind of your keys to underwriting success, when you're introduced to a concept or you know a, a company, as you mentioned, there's a lot of them that would fall into this category. What are you looking for when you, number one, you know, what are you looking for of, of a product that you want to write? But number two, what's the best way to break it down so that the product innovations can benefit from your underwriting innovations? So it's like putting those two together. And if I didn't explain that correctly, I'm, I'm saying, how do we explain the product better to you, given the advancements yeah. in product technology? What are the best ways to do that? Yeah, I was just saying, look, looking at kind of parallel products is is important. You've got to kind of say, we've got similar products here, here, and here, and this is this is what's happened. And they've taken the innovations and put them into their product. Some of them are, are just brand new. And you've, you've got to just kind of try and work it out and work out the loss scenarios that might, might come out of it. I think from a submission point of view, just clean data is, is one of the most important things. Having messy data and thing that takes you hours and hours to stalk through tends to just put it down, they're further down the list. So for that. And then, I mean, we've, we've, we've worked on a number of deals and we've got, got a call, I think, later with a, with a client and actually being able to speak to the client and understand their kind of stresses and strains and, and what they're trying to achieve is also really important. Particularly if it's if it's a particularly difficult product, or it might have a claims issue or something like that, then that face to face chat is really really important. I, I just add that I think there are obviously a huge amount of new products coming out there in different areas of the economy and industry, and you know whether or not it's like sharing products are sharing or just new technologies, you know, being being reached in there. Kind of the risk, how we look at risk is obviously changing, has to change slightly within that as well, but. I think the one thing which doesn't change, and I think that again it goes back to one of the things that which the London market is very good at, and I think in this in this area is really important, and sometimes I think can be quite missed is you know the understanding that these are new companies and that probably are you probably are going to have to go on a journey with them. Hopefully they're going to grow and hopefully they're going to be successful companies, and you know you want to partner with them when they're young and you know hopefully be successful with them together. But on the understanding that the structure of the deal which you wrote the first time round. And this is understanding, I would say, from underwriters, clients, and brokers all combined, is not necessarily the the right deal for this this current year. We have to, as the company evolves and as the insurance market evolves, and their insurance policy should evolve with them. And as long as I think you know you have an underwriting team and a client as well who understands that and understands what they're trying to achieve by their insurance, then I think you can get successful insurance with new companies. 
and you'll get as long as everyone sometimes can you know hold their hands up and go do you know what? we got that completely wrong and let's see how we get make it right going forward and you know go, and, and grow up together and go on that journey together and hopefully you know hopefully it's successful but sometimes it might not be and at that stage you try and try and react appropriately absolutely i agree uh, i think that everything you guys just said is, is spot on from my standpoint the best way to communicate these risks is having the owner or the you know some executive within an organization kind of spell it out and spell out their vision and i think reading people is still a very important feature from an underwriting standpoint Obviously, if you know you have a client that believes in themselves, believes in their product, you know has a lot of passion from that standpoint, and has the resources, it's kind of a good way to evaluate them. It's having that interpersonal relationship there. Uh, one of the others, and I know this is important to both of you, Justin as well, when we're talking about submissions and kind of arming a insured with the best resources, is claims handling and making sure that you know both from a uh, insured standpoint and from the insurer standpoint, you're providing plenty of resources to that insured to get them the best possible service and to get people that understand the claim when these things come in. Because like we said, there is so much product innovation out there. Having having an attorney or a TPA or somebody involved that is not familiar with the technology or the product you know, could also be a, a barrier to having a successful, successfully run insurance program. Ed, what are your thoughts on how you envision this facility to kind of look at claims, look at claims handling, and what do you want to see from that standpoint? Well, hopefully we see no claims, but, you know. <laughs> well, with, with my clients, you won't, but, I, you know, well, exactly. everybody else. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but, you know, as and when that unfortunate event happens and we, we have a claim, we, we're, we're, we're having a panel of TPAs who we're, who will all be well known to the marketplace and you know experts within various different industries so you know for instance if you look at a tree stand there's obviously a particular firm who've specialized in that and so they'll be on our panel and you know another another well-known tpas which have national reach as well i suppose the most important thing for us is you know tpas are graces for certain things but then also but if, if our insured decides that they want to you know, have significant SIR and handle their own claims, then they should be able to have a significant in, in, input within that because ultimately that is their own money as well when they're handling that. So I think it's it, it, all this goes back to that one size doesn't fit all mentality. You know, we want to be able to engage with our clients and if they want to have a certain TPA or a certain counsel or a certain lawyer on, you know, in the, written into the contract and there's a particular reason why, then I think that's something which we will talk to them about. If they are not as sophisticated when it comes to insurance as as others as, as others may be, and they need more guidance, then we have a panel who we can say, look, these are the people who we recommend for you on this on this occasion. And you know, you might you might want to think about these people. So, because candidly, obviously, some some people you know invent a great product and aren't really insurance experts, and that's why they hire people like yourself and to give them that guidance. And so, you know, I th- I suppose it's just working with everyone in the chain to understand what needs to happen and try and come out of the right outcome. And that outcome could be someone we suggest or someone they suggest. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, Brandon, I I think it's probably sort of no great secret, you know, London has sometimes not done everything completely right over the years. And particularly when it comes to handling claims and sometimes, you know, the market's been accused of just throwing things at lawyers and getting lawyers to come back and 
So I think there have been a lot of lessons learned over the years by all the markets in terms of, you know, claims handling. And particularly when you're in the primary area, it's even more sensitive because you're really handling claims from ground zero. And as Ed said, you know, every client is different. Some want small deductibles, some want big retention, some are much more sophisticated than others. And I think it's the ability of this facility to sort of recognise which client the right shoe has got to go on. And I think, again, that spells the beauty of the London market is that, you know, they're able to recognise, you know, every single different client, what their needs are, whether it is a small deductible or whether it's a larger retention, could be co-insurance, there's all sorts of different methods and plays that the markets can take to address that client's needs. And, you know, we're still in the market that, as I said, is still, still suffering from all sorts of unfortunate events and rates are, you know, are still quite tricky. And, uh, you know, we on other types of business, for example, we've employed swing programs and other ways to sort of, you know, help clients who think they have a fantastic story and have turned themselves around. And underwriters will say, I tell you what, what let's uh, put your foot where your mouth is, <laughs> so to speak, right. in terms of swinging that premium up. Not necessarily saying that Ed and Nick would do that necessarily on their facility, but sort of talking about a broader sort of spectrum of, you know, trying to find different solutions and outcomes for clients in tougher, tougher spaces. So I think the claims handling aspect of this is particularly important, as I said, from a, from a primary standpoint. I know the guys are, you know, got a really good panel of TPAs that are out there that are known to probably to most clients. And, you know, in the eight years that we've sort of really been focusing on this primary business, I can't think honestly of one bad outcome that we've had over the last eight years in terms of claims handling. As I said, you know, it's not always been 100% perfect and, you know, everybody's learning as they go along about what they can do better. And in terms of, I think it's also important to understand for a few listeners that, you know, most of the coverage forms that people will see are pretty much ISO related. So, you know, these are forms that most producers and most clients know. We're not coming up with some sort of funky wording that no one's ever seen before with a thousand exclusions in it. You know, this is more standard, straightforward ISO form that people are used to. And then from a claims handling standpoint, that dovetails with those wordings in terms of what people understand and expect. Makes sense to me. Two more questions before we uh, let you guys go. Justin, I think early on you mentioned kind of black swan events and, th- and things like that. And I know it sounds like we're, we're getting towards more rate adequacy, maybe across everybody's books these days. You know, the, the U.S. court system had been shut down for a couple of years. Uh, we're starting to see that get more active again with in-person jury trials. I haven't seen a huge commentary or narrative regarding capital funded litigation or anything like that lately, but I'm sure it's still there and I'm sure it's there in in plenty, but Nick and Ed, uh, Nick, maybe start out this one. When you look at the atmosphere that's out there, what are you, you know, what are you worried about? What are you seeing when it comes to U.S. casualty business that keeps you up at night? And I hate to use that cliche kind of question, but I think it's a a question that probably needs some needs answers across the board. You know, what are underwriter? What are what are you looking at right now when you're looking at you know concerns you have about litigation? Yeah, I mean, there are a number of things you look at when you're writing a casualty book, and part of it is where and how things things aggregate, whether it across kind of product line or across insureds. What can happen that can really hurt you? And generally, the makeup of um, our books in London tends to be larger accounts means that 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 isn't so bad. But what is definitely there is the rise in jury verdicts and and settlements. And I think what is 
probably most concerning is it's very difficult to work out what an injury is worth these days and what is the what's the right amount of money, right? And, and there's never obviously been a, a right amount of money because no one wants that to happen. But there's a ballpark of what you what you think will be the outcome, and those that seem to be continually creeping up. And I think people start to go into these things with the attitude that they're so worried about an adverse verdict, a big adverse verdict, that those settlements are just getting higher and higher. And the excess carriers are putting more pressure on the lower carriers to settle within their layer. And it kind of starts to spiral. And obviously, the litigation funding has, has fueled that to a degree. But I, I do worry that that kind of spiral continues. And then, and then the more they settle, the, the bigger the, the demands get. And we're, we're just seeing crazy demands from what, what we're used to. It's an interesting backdrop, I think, just having been to probably 50 trials myself in my former life. And seeing what it actually takes for a plaintiff to overcome kind of the preponderance of the evidence burden that they have is difficult for plaintiffs to win a product liability case. It's not easy. There's very good defenses in place for, for the defense. But when you think about that and think about kind of the, you have this litigation funded atmosphere, you have all these things that are going into the backdrop of your underwriting, but you really don't have very many trials happen, right? Actually, very few, I think. The latest numbers that I heard were less than 2% of these cases are going to trial. I think that there's probably outliers there because you have certain products that are just more inherently driven down the path of trial. But do either of you think, and maybe start with that, that the worry about these increasing verdicts are actually a legitimate worry or if it's this worry that's kind of just snowballed and created by the worry itself? I think it's a legitimate worry. I think when you look at the median settlement value between 2014 and 2019, it doubled, right? And so that's that's the median. That's the median. Uh, sorry, not settlement value. The median uh, verdict value. So that the, the severity, severity doubled in the five year, five six year period before the pandemic, and that's you know, that term social inflation, which has obviously been around for a very long time, but was the Duriger term for a number of years. And, you know, there are lots of reasons for that. And that has obviously had an impact when you do have, ha- and you've had some large jury verdicts that has an impact on assessment value to the next point. I think it is legitimate that underwriters continually worry about inflation. I think there's obviously a hyperinflation environment in the, both the US and the UK at the moment, which doesn't necessarily seem to be abating or close to abating anytime soon, given you know, all the different factors we've had over the last few years. And so I think that's, that's, that's definitely something which is concerning. What the, you referenced the 2% of, for liability cases which go to jury trial, you know, it will be interesting to see if that if that trend continues. I sometimes do worry that people settle too quickly. There are good, to your point, Brandon, there are good defences. People do make, a lot of the time, good products. But there, is, but there is now a fear, I think an inherent fear from insurers, excess insurers, prime insurers, whoever, insurers that they don't want to go down the trial route and come out with some crazy numbers which we've all seen. And so I don't know if that 2% is the right or the wrong number, but I can understand the, the mentality of why things get settled. But at the same time, we do need we do need things to go to trial and we do need our insurance to win, which will happen occasionally, I'm sure. They, we can't be a fault every single time. And we need people to be strong enough to rack up a defence bill. And that obviously has its own issues, depending on how your costs are structured on your programme and who sits where on a tower. But I think that there comes a time when some people do need to go to court and do you need to win? Do you need to set precedent? Because otherwise, this is always going to go. This is going to go one way. 
But much of that is partly sort of on the shoulders of uh, you as the insurer. With so many times I've seen personally insurance companies just folding and saying, you know what, we just need to settle this. We, we're, we're too terrified to go to court. And sometimes it feels, and not trying to sort of inflame the discussion, but it, sometimes it doesn't feel sometimes like insurers and insured interests are always totally aligned because a lot of time we just always get feedback from clients like we, we didn't want to settle this. We wanted to go to trial, but our insurer forced us to settle and I think that's, again, something that markets need to sort of think about carefully is it's how do we better align insurers' interests and insurers' interests in terms of that settlement process. So it's not always down to the insured saying, no, oh, no, let's settle out of court. A lot of the time the insurers want to go to court and the insurers won't let them. I totally agree. And as in, it's not always, I don't think it's like always one party or the other. I think, you know, it's obvious, but every single situation is different and i think a lot of the time you get the excess you get a lot of pressure from the excess insurers putting pressure on someone underlying to him saying we're going to put you in bad faith if you don't if you don't settle because you know you can settle for within your layer or you can roll the dice against trial and then we're exposed and okay bad faith is a very very high bar of proof you know when it comes to comes to that but you can there's a lot of nuance i suppose to it and perhaps you get more control of costs are inside your limit and you purchase more limit from one insurer because then at that stage, at least that insurer knows when they're tapping in and out. When costs are outside and, you know, you, you hear the horror stories of hundreds of millions of defense costs on outside, then that, that has an impact as well. So I think it's possibly the most complex area that we deal in, in terms of how that how the claim gets handled. But it's, but it's the most important because ultimately that's what people are buying. I totally agree with that there. I think the, the way larger towers are structured and when you kind of like layer them up, that, that layering process and having lots of insurers through a tower, then putting pressure on one of the lower insurers to settle within their layer is a really difficult dynamic. And it's not necessarily the best dynamic for the best outcome. I think that's a, that's a problem for the industry, industry-wide. I don't know how, how to solve it, but it's, yeah, it's, not everyone seems to be swimming in the same direction in that, in that dynamic. I think we've better set up a convex Inigo Christian Howden uh, lab to uh, to figure this out and go to a lab and uh, don't come out for a week until we figure it out, guys. But yeah, I, I think I think you're right. It's probably the, for casualty insurers. I think it's the, probably the number one issue that somehow has to get addressed. I don't know how, but it, it's a really really important point. It's chicken or egg. Just but having been in that corporate seat lots of times, I can tell you that. I think overall jurors want to make the right decision. And I think that can be swayed a little bit based on the jurisdiction. But the US court system is still very much has, you know, strong defenses, especially for product liability with Daubert and federal court and things like that to, to prevent this junk science from, from getting through the gates. But there's always the uh, occasional one that does. But I, I think we tried probably 50 cases while I was there and we lost three. You know, so it's usually they go the right direction if, if the facts of the case are in the right spot. But, but, but appreciate you, all that. Um, you only ever hear about the ones that don't go right, though, right? You only about you only hear you only hear the. Bad. I'm not gonna. T- I'm not gonna talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, I appreciate y'all being here. Let's just logistically information here, just to remind the listeners: new facility, convex, Inigo. When is the when or when was the kind of official launch? I don't know if that's been an official launch. I suppose there's been a soft launch, hasn't there? Which I suppose hopefully will be slightly harder after this 
the podcast and your huge listener base will start yeah, sending in get ready yeah <laughs> and naming naming wise what are what are we are we calling it something or is is it just going to be kind of a long drawn out name when we're referring to it <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i don't i don't think we've we've finalized a brand i think innovex was the the best one going but uh i don't know we'll, we'll maybe we all need to vote on it at some point but yeah i think as, as, can I vote? Yeah, as it grows <laughs> as it grows yeah we'll 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 grow the branding with it as well innovex we'll go with innovex for now all right guys really appreciate everybody being here on the pod today and uh until next time thanks a lot guys okay right. thank you